No matter how you slice it or you dice it, Derek Carr played his best game as a New Orleans Saints quarterback in their win against the Indianapolis Colts. We got all that and a little bit of land yet for you on today's episode of Locked on Saints. You are Locked on Saints, your daily New Orleans Saints podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is good, Houdat Nation and Houdat family? Welcome into another episode of Locked on Saints, your daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much, as always, for making Locked on Saints your first listen of the day every day. Don't forget, you can subscribe and follow for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep the conversation going, take part in our exclusive film studies, Q&As, breaking news, early access, and much more. You can become a Locked on Saints insider by heading over to joinsubtext.com slash Locked on Saints today to join a community I would love for you to be a part of. As always, I am your host, Ross Jackson, at Ross Jackson Nola on your favorite social media, your New Orleans Saints expert, credential member of the media, Saints News Network, Tuesdays in the Locked on NFL podcast, and here with you every single Monday through Friday, and then some on Locked on Saints. Today's episode of Locked on Saints brought to you by our friends at FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more. Head over to FanDuel.com slash Locked on today to get started. On today's episode of Locked on Saints, happy Tuesday and happy Halloween to you. We're going to be looking at the offensive line and how they balled out and continue to improve. What helped the New Orleans Saints in their red zone scoring? We're going to break it all down and To kick us all off, Derek Carr played his best game as a New Orleans Saint. How do we know? Well, let's take a look at the numbers. So looking at Derek Carr here, there's a couple of things non-numbers related to point out. Very calm, cool, collected. Um, The offense ran extremely well. Good communication, good connections with the receivers and the pass catchers. Having a run game that helped. Not having his clock kind of sped up by the offensive line. All of those things helped him out, right? But outside of helping him out, Derek Carr did his job. He did exactly what he needed to do in this game, did not throw turnover-worthy passes, did, you know, delivered the ball accurately, delivered the ball quickly, was very decisive, did not take any sacks that were his fault, things like that, right? Like a, a quarterback holding on to a, a ball for too long or a pass for too long and all those other things. So I think when you look at where Derek Carr made his kind of made like the the standing on that fantastic performance against the Indianapolis Colts. It comes down to the intangibles, which we just named, but also the tangibles. Like, let's look at what it is that Derek Carr did. No matter how it is that you want to slice it and dice it, he had his best game as a New Orleans Saint. You want to look at passer rating? His passer rating in this game was a 133.3 best of the year. You take a look at his net yards per average, which takes into account passing yards, while getting rid of sack yards and in passing attempts versus time sacked, best game as a New Orleans Saint. You can add the adjusted to that to where you start to look at like things that kind of balance stuff out on minimum attempts and all that, best game as a New Orleans Saint. No interceptions, only his second game so far as a Saint with two touchdown passes, more than one touchdown passes in the game. The first time that he did that was against New England, then he did it again here in this game. His touchdown percentage is actually his second highest. All right, you got me, 74 as opposed to 7.7, and actually his completion percentage was second as well, 70.4, but still very, very good stuff. One of his best EPA per play games, just in terms of like inefficiency, like points added per play kind of a situation. Also had a uh, great um, 
completion above expected too. But then you want to dive into maybe some of the other comparisons that you look at, not just him against himself, but him against the rest of the NFL. So if we're looking at things like um, completion percentage over expected, for instance, uh, Derek Carr, top five in the NFL this week. So basically what it is, is that each week, a quarterback is assigned a completion percentage that is expected. And then whatever that completion percentage is, you do better or worse than that. And that gives you the completion percentage over expected. And so you either get a negative number, which is if you come in below the expectation or a positive number, if you come in above the expectation, Derek Carr was 15.5% above, according to fantasy points in their fantastic data suite. The best quarterback in the NFL was 16.3%, so only 0.8% removed. That was Kirk Cousins this week. You look at Derek Carr's deep throw percentage, didn't have to do it a ton, came in top six in the NFL. You look at um, yards after catch percentage, so the amount of his passing yards that he had in this game, how many of them were because receivers were creating yards after the catch. He comes in right around the middle of the NFL this week, 310 total yards uh, passing in this game for Derek Carr. You look at what he did in terms of... um, uh, aggressive throw percentage, first read th- uh, throw percentage, accuracy throw percentage versus turnover worthy throw or off target throws. What you learn, I'm not going to read off all those numbers because it's just a bunch of percentages and it's all going to sound the same after a certain point. But the story that the numbers tell, which is more important, is that he got the, the passes out quickly. That's your first read percentage. Didn't take a lot of pressure. We mentioned that earlier. He was one of the least pressured quarterbacks in terms of pressure percentage in the NFL, according to the uh, fantasy points. You look at um, his... Um, Uh, on-target throw percentage, one of the best in the NFL through some of the fewest off-target passes in the NFL. So he delivered the ball accurately. And on top of all that, he actually led the NFL this this week in dropped percentage. So number of passes thrown and dropped. So the numbers could have been even better. That's one of the reasons why kind of you adjust completion percentage and things like that. So least pressured, delivered the ball accurately, got the ball out quickly. Um, didn't go to the check down. I think he was one of the, the lowest. I think it was only a 3.7% of his passes were considered check down passes. Um, it, was, it was outstanding. It was a very, very good performance for Derek Carr. And one of the things that he talked about after the game was that, you know, a big thing that he wanted to do was kind of adjust when he let his emotions get to him. And, and we've heard like little glimpses of it in the past, right? That game right after he came back off of the injured shoulder, um, you know, he talked about, you know, coming kind of coming up short, laying a ball short to Chris Olave on the right sideline. And then the next play just kind of guns it deep to him. And then we kind of asked, like, was that, you know, you just trying to trying to get that play back or whatever it was. And he says, yeah, yeah honestly, I was mad. Um, you know, you've seen the frustration boil over for this New Orleans Saints offense on the field. We certainly saw it uh, just a couple of weeks ago here at home in New Orleans. And so instead of seeing that, what you saw was the emotion come out in the big moments, the happy moments, all of those things. So he made the big time throws. He was one of the uh, highest players or one of the highest ranking players in the NFL when it came to hero throw percentage, which isn't like playing hero ball, which is negative. Hero throw percentage instead is when you're making throws that maximize that play or that maximize that receiver's ability to make that catch. And he was one of the highest rated players in that metric. Now that metric's a little bit subjective. That's okay though. That's a metric that even subjective or objective, whatever you want your quarterback to be near the top of that conversation every single week. So what we saw from Derek Carr, hopefully we'll continue to see moving forward, which can be said for the entire New Orleans Saints offense for this, right? We've seen kind of the roller coaster, the ups and downs, all those other things. 
But now that Derek Carr and this New Orleans Saints kind of got this game under their belt, their best game as an offense, Derek Carr's best game as a Saint, it gives them an opportunity to see, okay, this is how we do it. This is how it works and gives them the opportunity to be able to kind of replicate that on a week by week basis, as opposed to striving to get there. They got there with some improvements still left to be made. Okay, there's still things that can get better, right? Chris Olave should have had a touchdown, bounced off of his helmet. Um, you know, uh, the the seam pass from Derek Carr to Juwan Johnson was this close, right? So like, there's still things that can continue to get better, and that should be exciting. That shouldn't come off as something that makes you go, "Oh, well, you're just looking for something negative." No, no, no. It's not that. It's that this New Orleans Saints offense and Derek Carr were outstanding on Sunday. And they have room to get even better. That's exactly what you want. So coming up next, we're going to be taking a look at what one, one of the biggest things that helped the New Orleans Saints in this game was their ability to convert in the red zone. How did they do it? We're going to break it all down as we continue on with today's episode of Locked on Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of Locked on Saints is brought to you by our friends at DoorDash. I order from DoorDash so much, I feel like DoorDash drivers are personal friends of mine. Um, I they're, they're the people that come and visit me, and there's, sometimes there's some of the people that I see multiple times a day. Yeah, it bees like that sometimes, because when you're busy, you, you have an opportunity to utilize something like DoorDash, which allows you to be able to take advantage of all the local eateries, like I'm ordering from Bon Me Boys later on today, popped up on DoorDash under the uh, Try Something New and I hadn't ordered from Buy Me Boys in a minute, so it popped up there, and I'm like, okay, that's what I'm doing today. So you want to check them out, grab something local where you are, whether in New Orleans or otherwise, some of the best and uh, best local eateries are there for you to take advantage of. And if you haven't used DoorDash before, it gets even better. You're going to get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first order at DoorDash. Just download the DoorDash app, enter that promo code LOCKED23, subject to change, terms apply Again, that's 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first DoorDash order. Download that DoorDash app, promo code LOCKED23, subject to change, terms apply. All right, family, continuing on with today's episode of Locked on Saints. One of the reasons why the New Orleans Saints were so successful in this game is because they went three of four in the red zone. Technically, you could say four of five. We're going to discuss that here in just a moment. I appreciate you as always making Locked on Saints your first listen of the day every day. So why were the Saints or how were the Saints so effective in the red zone? Dennis Allen spoke about it in his day after press conference. And one of the things that he mentioned was being able to run the ball effectively. And I'm going to tell you what, not only did the New Orleans Saints run the ball effectively when it came to the red zone, they almost exclusively ran the football in the red zone of the 12 total plays that the Saints had or started or lined up for in this uh, in the red zone in this game. So remember, we're not talking about from the 20-yard line. We're talking about from the 19-yard line in. Taysom Hill had a 20-yard rush from the 20-yard line for a touchdown. That's one of the reasons why that, that one doesn't get counted as a red zone possession or a red zone touchdown, which I think is kind of weak. I think that it should be considered that. So that's why I say you could call it four or five as opposed to three or four. Uh, but outside of that play, everything that was run between the 19 and forward, 12 plays, right? And one of them was a false start place. We're really looking at 11 plays that were executed. The Saints ran the ball on 10 of those 11 plays. And on 10 of those 11 plays, the ball was in the hands of either Alvin Kamara or Taysom Hill, the two players that just about everyone has been saying that the Saints need to get more involved in the red zone. So what happened on the other play? 
That was actually the uh, incompletion on a first and 10 from the 16 from, um, from Derek Carr to Juwan Johnson. Now, the Saints scored the very next play because Alvin Kamara is outstanding uh, and because Eric McCoy and Lynn Bowden were just gangsters on that play. Uh, Eric McCoy comes in, helps on a double team on the interior defensive lineman, climbs to the second level, gets up to number 44, and almost puts him on the ground. And then right coming from the inside of that, you've got um, Foster Moreau getting a block and then you are shielding a block. And then you've got Lynn Bowden coming in and just taking away a safety. And Alvin Kamara is right up the middle into the end zone. Kind of gets tackled from behind, ends up sitting on the ground, and then kind of does his little rowboat celebration there. But those moments in this game showed you the Saints' ability to be able to dominate in the run game. And their ability to be able to dominate in the run game in the red zone in particular is what paid off for them. The Saints actually called two passing plays. The incompletion from Derek Carr to Juwan Johnson, which was, ooh, this close. And don't worry, they turned around and scored on the very next play. Uh, But they also called a pass play for Taysom Hill in the red zone from the 14-yard line that ended up turning into a 12-yard scramble. And then the Saints, of course, would end up, if I recall correctly, I believe they scored very soon. Yeah, they scored very soon after that. That was the uh, that was Taysom Hill's one-yard run after that point. So when that play that they called the passing play for Taysom Hill, though, I also really liked and really enjoyed. You saw on that play, um, no pre-snap motion, or yeah, a little bit of pre-snap motion, actually. They bring Lynn Bowden from the outside to the inside. As they're doing that, they fake the the shovel pass to Lynn Bowden. When that fake happens, a lot of the defense goes over to the left side of the field. And then what the Saints do is attack a levels concept on the right side of the field. So there's somebody in the flats, somebody in the intermediate area, and then somebody coming in over the top as well, all while moving the pocket with Taysom Hill, getting him on kind of a speed out. So even though it wasn't a run play as called, it got Taysom Hill moving. It bought the defense or bought the offensive line a little bit of relief to get him toward the outside, makes things a little bit simpler. Um, And then you get three concepts or you get a concept that provides you three different targets to try to get to. None of them are there. You're Taysom Hill, turn up field and run. And that's exactly what he did. And he took them from the 14 yard line to the two yard line. They backed up a little bit with a uh, with a false start penalty, but didn't end up being not a big deal. They ended up getting into the end zone later on. And everything else that they did throughout that drive was a run with either Taysom Hill or with Alvin Kamara, and oftentimes with Colin Saunders leading the way. I mean, he is just a ton of fun to watch doing that role. So that's how the Saints found their success in the red zone. They did the thing that historically they've done incredibly well in the red zone, which is put the ball in the hands of Alvin Kamara and Taysom Hill. You'll remember if you're if you if you caught the uh, the postcast episode, the live episode from Lucas Oil Stadium. One of the things that I mentioned during that or, or during that show is that the Saints consistently put their players in position to make plays. I actually just broke this down for an article over at Saints News Network as well. This is a perfect example of that. This was the Saints knowing that Alvin Kamara, who once scored, what was it, 17, 18 touchdowns in a season, scored the majority of those touchdowns in the red area, that Taysom Hill is like a cheat code in those short distance situations, whether we're talking second and one, third and one from the 40, or we're talking, you know, goal line, whatever, right? Doesn't matter. Or from the 20 yard line, even you can find some ways to score with him there as well. But you could see the Saints leaning on what it was. And even if you want to say, like I do, that that 20 yard touchdown was a red zone touchdown as well, that's another one that you chalk up to the run game with Taysom Hill 
or Alvin Kamara. And that's exactly the formula that the New Orleans Saints used. 10 of the 11 plays that got snaps, right? You had the false start penalty. 10 out of those 11 plays were either putting the ball in the hands of Taysom Hill or Alvin Kamara in some way, shape, form, or, or fashion. One of those plays was Taysom Hill on a scramble that was called as a pass play. That's it. That's how they did it. It doesn't have to be complicated. And this is exactly what we talked about earlier on in the week. And a fantastic example of the idea of simplifying the offense and culling down the menu and trying not to do too much. Remember we discussed that last week? We played the clips from Pete Carmichael, all of that about how they wanted to kind of um, uh, simplify and bring down the number of play calls that they have that could possibly be called in game in certain situations. Well, in the red area, that's your situational football right there. Clearly, the Saints said, you know what? We're going to take the Alvin Kamara package. We're going to take the Taysom Hill package. That's what we're using in the red zone. And then have a couple of other plays sprinkled in, which were probably like, hey, Juwan's back. Let's see if we can get him uh, up the seam uh, in the red area. Makes a ton of sense, that 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 attempt. Um, that's what they did. They simplified and brought down the number of play calls so that they had more bangers than they had misses in the red area. And look, not every play was great. Some plays were a one-yard run, some plays were a two-yard run, but those are necessary because you have to commit to those just as much as you commit to the 16-yard touchdown run or the 20-yard touchdown run. This is it. This is the formula for the New Orleans Saints. Now, some teams are now going to be able to game plan for it, be ready for it, things like that. But for right now, this is what the New Orleans Saints identity should be in the red zone. And when we talk about the overall identity of this team, change it depending upon the situation at this point. Like your, your identity is that of a chameleon because you have such an eclectic offense that can do so many different things. You already know how to successfully move the ball between the, between the 20s. Now you, you've figured out what to do when you're within the 20s. Let's see how much that ends up benefiting them here moving forward with some important games on the way. And one of the most important pieces of those games that are on the way is going to be how the New Orleans Saints offensive line continues to perform, and they have been impressive here recently. We got that coming up for you as we continue on and wrap up today's episode of Locked on Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of Locked on Saints brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. New Orleans Saints open as seven-point favorites, a whole touchdown favorites against the Chicago Bears here at home. So heavy, heavy home favorites. If you like that bet and you haven't, or you like that line and you haven't placed a bet over at FanDuel right now, let me help you out because this is exactly what the FanDuel promo this month is here for. Right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets by winning just a $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. So you can find a nice line Maybe you like the Kansas City Chiefs in a matchup. You find some, some, some lopsided matchup for this week. You put $5 down, and it basically gives you a guaranteed additional 30 to 1 odds in bonus bets if you win that bet. Isn't that awesome? If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, this is absolutely the time to get it done. Spreads, player props, over-unders, and much more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to keep the NFL season. Roland FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Let's get it. Who that nation wrap it up today's episode of Locked On Saints. So look at the New Orleans Saints offensive line. This offensive line has been uh, seeing a lot of different combinations. They saw their, I think it's their fifth uh, starting offensive lineup, offensive line lineup with Ryan Ramchick coming back to the uh, lineup on Sunday and probably just had, no, not even probably, sorry, let me 
they had their best performance as an offensive line against the Indianapolis Colts. Appreciate you as always. Make a lockdown state your first listen of the day every day. Don't forget 2 p.m. Eastern time, 1 p.m. Central NFL kickoff uh, is live here on Locked on Saints and every other Locked on NFL page as well. So come check them out so you can get ready for everything you need for the weekend of football ahead. So just looking at the New Orleans Saints from an offensive line perspective, Derek Carr, I mentioned earlier, was one of the least pressured quarterbacks in the NFL. He was only pressured on four dropbacks. Four and them things. Four dropbacks. Now he was sacked on one of those. It turned out to be a sack fumble that ended up being uh, turned over. That was a play where Eric McCoy kind of got got pushed back a little bit. And then the uh, defensive lineman, 99, was able to come in and, and catch Derek Carr as he was trying to step up. Derek Carr actually had Alvin Kamara in the flats on that play, but didn't see him. That's not the, the side where his progression started. He was actually looking at Michael Thomas, who had an open pocket in the zone downfield. Would have been a nice connection there. Uh, but as he stepped up to evade some of that pressure, that defensive tackle was just able to come in and, and clobber him, um, kind of got the blind side there. So look, those are going to happen. It's fine. Uh, it ended up, you know, you hope you would wish that they're not going to be fumbles uh, every time, but look, the, those types of sacks are going to happen for sure. Uh, but outside of that, the, the Saints offensive line allowed basically um, two hurries and a hit, and that's it. And the hurry and hit was allowed by Cesar Ruiz, uh, one of the other hurries and the sack allowed by Eric McCoy. So from everything that we've been talking about throughout this season is that kind of the most steady players in the offensive line in terms of availability, at least, have been Eric McCoy and Cesar Ruiz. Eric McCoy and Cesar Ruiz didn't necessarily struggle in this game. Eric McCoy kind of did. He had a play to where he kind of got um, got blown up a little bit on uh, a run play by Alvin Kamara in the red zone, actually. Uh, but, you know, there was a couple other things that kind of happened in that play. He got pushed over the back of or got pushed over behind. Uh, over uh, Cesar Ruiz, who had been a pulling guard and stuff like that, which the Saints did extremely well in this game. We're going to get to that in a moment uh, when we get to the run game. But the Saints' pass protection—you know—I can I can poke holes and and stuff like that all I want, but it was it was good and it was the best it's been all season. And that was with Andrus Pete and Max Garcia starting at left tackle and left guard. Remember, Cesar uh, not Cesar Ruiz. I'm so sorry. Uh, Trevor Penning no longer in the starting lineup for right now. James Hurst was injured and did not participate in this game. If James Hurst is healthy going into this game against the Chicago Bears, who just acquired Montez Sweat, by the way, uh, from the Washington Commanders, uh, as I record this, that's a big question that you have to now answer is, who do you want on the blind side of um, of Derek Carr? And look, uh, Andrews Peake performed very well. In this game, he actually performed pretty well last week and he took, drew a lot of matchups from Josh Allen. Now, he allowed a lot of pressures. I think it was a total of 10 pressures that he allowed in the game, seven of them hurries, three hits. But that was another game a week ago where against Jacksonville, Derek Carr was sacked only once. So it's two weeks in a row after watching several weeks of four, four, three, four sacks uh, over and over again. This was a game to where you saw it, it, it work out. So Andrew Speed got beat a lot last week against one of the best pass rushers or most talented pass rushers, at least in the NFL, but it didn't do enough to impact New Orleans on a um on, on a getting to the quarterback basis. The Jaguars had just as much trouble making plays and finishing plays at the quarterback as the New Orleans Saints have had, uh, and which was one of our big concerns coming out of out of this week. Um, the Saints also got great protection from Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams, I think, only played 15. Snaps, eight of which were uh, were pass blocking snaps. No, four of which were pass blocking snaps. 
and was outstanding in that area. Lynn Bowden was outstanding in that area. He was awesome, actually, especially as a run blocker. So let's get to the run game, uh, because I think like when you look at the highest graded run blockers per pro football focus, take it or leave it. But just so that you have it, Ryan Ramchek, followed by Lynn Bowden, followed by Eric McCoy. Lynn Bowden played um, 16 run blocking snaps in this game, and he was awesome. And the thing that I loved about what the Saints did in their in their run blocking is that they didn't do anything super fancy. They they pulled a guard, they ran a gap scheme, which is man-to-man, basically. You're in front of me, my job is to block you, I'm in front of you, your job is to block me. Like that, that, that's the way that man blocking works. It's not a everybody takes a read step and blocks a gap, tries to climb to the second level. You climb to the second level if you've taken out your guy. That's what we saw Eric McCoy do on that 16-yard touchdown run. Lynn Bowden sweeping across to make that block to help Alvin Kamara get into the end zone as well. Lots of really good stuff there without doing anything fancy. Like they didn't have to, this is, the the Saints won this game by not doing too much. And that's exactly what Pete Carmichael said when we talked to him was that one of the things that they had to evaluate was like us as a coaching staff and how, you know, doing too much. And I asked him, what do you mean by doing too much? And then this is exactly what he talked about. Find what works and stick to it. And that's what the New Orleans Saints did really well. They did it in the passing game too. Tony Brown, the backup who was in uh, for the Indianapolis Colts secondary, threw at him seven times, had seven completions for over 180 yards and a touchdown uh, for Rashid Shaheed. Uh, That's it. That's what you're looking for from this New Orleans Saints team. And so I love looking at this offensive line and the protection and what they've been able to do here over the course of the last two games. Because by all intents and purposes, by having your left guard playing left tackle and having a backup left guard in, all intents and purposes, you should be struggling. And the Saints, the offensive line just doesn't feel like it has been over the course of the past two weeks. It was a little bit more perfect this week than it was, than it certainly was last week against Jacksonville. Uh, But now going ahead up against Chicago, who up until they got Montez Sweat had only six and a half sacks with their defensive line. This could be a good situation for New Orleans going into that game. Montez Sweat brings with him as many sacks as the entire Washington, excuse me, the entire Chicago Bears defensive line had going into this game. They had six and a half. He brings six and a half with him. So you got to watch out for him. But how up to speed is he going to be in less than a week on what it is that they want to do and what their pass rush plan is and everything like that? Like there are going to be fundamental things that he has to figure out before he can get into doing the things that he was comfortable doing with the Washington Commanders and adding a little bit of flavor to his pass rush moves and things like that. Like some of that stuff's going to take a little bit of a step back for him. So you have to be able to mitigate him. But if you can do that, and if the Bears also end up trading away Jalen Johnson, their top cornerback, then you're not going to have a lot of time to get after a quarterback. And the, the defensive or the offensive line doesn't have to do too much. You look at Derek Carr's time to pressure in this game. On those four pressures, he was pressured more quickly than almost any quarterback in the NFL. It was like top five or so. So when the pressure was getting there, it was getting there quickly. But if you can hold the pressure for a little while, Derek Carr on average was getting passes out in 2.2 seconds in this game, on average, on average. And so if you can hold the blocks for a little while, if the secondary is struggling and if Jalen Johnson's not on that team next weekend, there's a lot of opportunity for you to be able to feast as a New Orleans Saints offense. So hopefully they can keep doing the things. Hopefully they can maintain consistency (laughs) going into uh, this game against the Chicago Bears and find the songs that they like, find the songs that they can play and play those songs. And that's exactly what they did against the Indianapolis Colts. That's what they need to do again against the Chicago Bears upcoming this week. All right. Only one episode for today. Kind of why I waited until like midday 
uh, to post it. If anything big happens in terms of the trade deadline for the Saints, of course, we'll be back. I don't know if they're going to be doing anything. Doesn't sound like they're going to be doing anything. But as the trade deadline ticks closer, teams get more and more desperate as their trade partners, you know, fall apart or trade talks fall apart, things like that. Could the New Orleans Saints jump in at that point? We'll see. So I'll see you then or tomorrow on Wednesday as we get ready for the Chicago Bears. Got that coming up for you then. Appreciate you as always. Make a Locked On Saints your first listen of the day every day, making us a part of your day, part of your routine for saying yes to me and the show. As always, if you see me, please say hi. If you need anything else around your New Orleans Saints in between these episodes, make sure you follow me on your favorite social media at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A. Hit me up. Let me know how the family's doing. Let me know how you're living. Let me know how you're mom and them. And trust you, that nation, I'll holla at you.